Welcome to Pastor Potluck. It's been a long time. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantia. And before we say anything else, I am going to be presumptive and, and assume this is okay, but uh, Peter and I have a shared congregation member, although he's actually only a member at Peter's church. Um, and I certainly think shared friend who passed away this week. So we want to maybe not dedicate, but at least mention yeah. in this episode, um, uh, pay our respects to James Green. James Green, what a good guy. Not related to me. Yeah, not related, but he, during the pandemic, he would come and worship at your churches sometime, yeah. your church sometime when, when my churches were not having in-person services, and 86 years old, and uh, passed away just on Monday, doing mm-hmm. what he loved. He got done working, um, working on some house projects, and they found him in his car afterwards. So. Yeah, I had heard that he was, they found him like he was getting into his car or something like that. Getting in or getting out of it or something yeah. like that. And um, But uh, yeah, just doing what he loved. He loved fixing up his place and always had a new project. And yeah, I'm going to miss him. We, we used to have lunch every week. And um, yeah, so thanks for... Thanks for uh, thinking about James today. and It's a reminder that it comes for us all, so let's make right. the most of the time we have. That's right. And with that, um, today we're going to be talking about Isaiah. Yeah, it's, it's been, we, yeah, that you said that, that we've, it's been a while. The Christmas season is, was, a, was a busy one for both of us, I think. We and did this right after Thanksgiving, and I don't think we did it again since then. Yeah, well, so Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy if, New Year. In case we missed you, Happy New Year. I've been seeing a lot of signs on the side of the road, uh, on church signs that say, New Year, same God. Oh, okay. And I was worried they changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were worried yeah. they changed God's. I was going to have to go back to seminary again, learn the new system. Well, this is, it's actually good because we're reading a passage of scripture today in which the, the author takes a moment uh, in the middle of the passage um, to remind us of who the God is that we're worshiping. So I think that's, it, it seems unnecessary, but actually I think it is important for us to remind ourselves, who is this God that we're worshiping? Do we remember we're worshiping the, the, the God who created everything? Um, I, I tend to chuckle when um, the Bible does that, mm. and then I have to stop and realize that that's our careers. Yeah. And that's what we're there to do, to remind the people that God is around. Oh, yeah. And no less true today than it was uh, when these scriptures were written is uh, the reality that there are other gods out there that can be worshipped. Um, maybe we don't use that terminology, but certainly there, we find ourselves um, throughout our lives drifting in the direction of things that are not God. Well, let's read it and then we can... Oh, by the way, this is not a broadcast, but a podcast. Uh, maybe interrupted. Depend. I have a cough drop, but we'll see. Uh, I have been sick. I'm not like get you sick, sick now. But God willing. My my voice is obviously different. Um, but I may have to stop and cough, and then so there will be like pauses and little jumps in the in the editing process. We are all too familiar with uh, symptoms and 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 uh, working through illnesses these days. It seems like. A lot of us can't catch a break. I know. 
Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. This is, last time we didn't talk lectionary, I don't think, but this is a lectionary reading, and it comes from the readings for this week, which is January 8th. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, in RSV. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's the end of the reading. Thus ends the reading. Well, if you're all right with this, Court, I felt like we should just start off by going a little bit line by line, and then we can sort of break out from there into larger um, larger reflections. Okay. Well, the first line is, here is my servant. Is that talking about Isaiah? Well, that's a good question. This scripture is given to us on a lectionary day that is known as the baptism of the Lord. And it's paired with the passage from Matthew where Jesus is baptized. The dove descends, the heavens open. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Yes. And so it it connects, and we're sort of given that connection by the lectionary. But it is a good question to ask, who is Isaiah talking about? Or who is God talking about through the prophet Isaiah? But here is my servant, the one whom I uphold, my chosen, who brings me delight. What do you think? Who is he talking about? Or who could he be talking about? Well, he, well, God could be talking about anyone is the cop-out answer. I think it's a stretch to say this must be talking about Jesus. Mm. I don't think that it's crazy to use this in connection with Jesus, looking yeah. back on it. Right. But to put yourself in Isaiah's sandals yeah and say well i mean clearly god's talking about jesus and they just didn't know it yet why what's the point yeah. it's not going to happen for centuries later so there's the the cop-out answer which is he could be talking about anyone which is still true even though it's cop-out there's the sunday school answer which is that he's talking about jesus of course what other answers can we think of some well, you know, we, we in Christianity get lost in this term, the Messiah, mm. when in fact in Jewish history there are several. Yes. Yeah. A Messiah for a time. Mm-hmm. And so whoever it is that could rise up and become a freeing 
force. Yeah. And honestly, if you're thinking about the Babylonian exile, it ends up being, was it Darius? Darius, yeah. Did they attribute that title Messiah a, to? A Persian king. Yeah. yeah. Who, who Who's the not Persians get their power. Yeah. And not so much overthrow, but kind of overtake mm-hmm. the Babylonian empire as the Babylonian power. Okay. Dear listener, history, <laughs> history moves in waves of power. Yeah. One superpower is on a rise and gets to a crest. Think of it as a wave. Gets to a crest, crest and then falls off in power. And as they're falling off, some other superpower is rising up. And I'm using my hands, which is silly because it's a podcast. But uh, so the Persian Empire comes on the rise and as, overtakes as the, as the Babylonian power is waning. And you can read about that in the book of Daniel. Yes. With Daniel talking with King Nebuchadnezzar. And you can also see it in Ezra Nehemiah, mm. and that's where they attribute that's Darius the that end. title yeah. of uh, Messiah. Yeah, Darius and then Cyrus, I think, are both part yeah. of the story. And um, and so it could be a reference yeah. to the Persian kings mm-hmm. or emperors yeah. who will eventually set the captives free. Sure. And so that leaves us with the question of can we use this today if we if if we have if we want to lean into the possibility that perhaps Isaiah was thinking had someone in mind and maybe it was one of these Persian kings uh, is it okay for us to to look at this and to read this and to interpret it based on the life of Jesus and I think what you alluded to is that yes it's not a crazy um, jump not as we look back in history to look at this and say oh this also really applies to what Jesus who Jesus is and what he was doing well if you want to get really far out there mm-hmm. could we look at it today mm. and say well who should we be looking for now well who is God going to use to set people free and to be the voice of God and to bring justice today mm. because I think the Bible is timeless, mm. and I think to freeze it at Revelation, I'm not saying that we get to write our own, right. but to think that his message stops speaking. Mm. If if this message, Isaiah, spoke to the events that happened in Jesus' day centuries later, why doesn't it speak into ours? Correct. Yeah. And, and to that, I would add two other ways of interpreting this first verse. Um, one comes from our, our colleague, Riley. Who, who read this, and his response was um, that perhaps this is individual and collective, or individual rather and general, mm-hmm. so that it could apply, I think you were saying, to anyone who God might use to bring about God's um, will so for the world. universal use. Yeah, it's, it's universal, it's general, but it's applied to a specific person. And I think the, the, the only other interpretation that I would offer is that perhaps this, is, this could be collective. This could be referring to the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's room in, in, in scripture, interpre- scripture interpretation to, to read it that way as well. And to place Jesus in the role of sort of embodying the calling of Israel as a person, as a as an individual. So if we read it collectively, yes. and think this is for the children of God, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. That's a very sobering thought, because we have to look at the church today and think, mm-hmm. how are we doing? Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't know that we're doing that great at this. All right. Well, let's yeah, let's let's read a little bit more. Maybe we can use that as a so far a checklist gotten... for evaluation of of the people of God, who I think encompass the chosen people of Israel and those who are welcomed in by Christ, who are considered part of the body of Christ. So so far we've gotten four words into it. So we're just doing a bang up <laughs> job. Uh, what is the next line you suggest? I, I, I chose the first one we talked about. Okay, well, um, I think, you know, going along the lines of interpreting this through a Christian lens, one thing that, that struck me is verse 2 where it says, He won't cry or shout out loud or make his voice heard in public. And if we, if we were going to interpret this in, um, in a Christological way, um, imagining that this is, this is a prophecy that applies to the life of Christ. I find it interesting that this verse, verse 2, contrasts so much with what we understand of John the Baptist's calling. With John the Baptist's calling, we hear, he is a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the Lord's path. Uh, a loud voice, and also from Isaiah, I think, is, is the reference that, that leads to John the Baptist calling. But here, where we have something that is more often interpreted, and certainly the lectionary lends to this interpretation, that this is speaking about Jesus, he won't cry or shout out loud or make his voice heard in public. So that's a very different calling than what we see with John the Baptist. But I think unlike the sobering collective view of the first verse, mm. this is a very not only challenging, but inspiring second verse, if you look at it collectively. Mm. If it is a job description for what the church is supposed to be. Because if you're not making the loudest noise, mm. which is how we see, we, we as, a, as a society tend to see effective leadership, who's mm -hmm. speaking the most. Mm -hmm. Whether they're speaking anything worth hearing is not always the point. It's yeah. Who do you listen to? Um, if you're not making the loud noise, what are you doing? You're doing. Mm, uh, yeah. And and so this is this may be a call to let our action do the do our speaking. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Understanding ourselves and as part of the body of Christ, do we do we lean in to sort of the Protestant? understanding of what is important and focus on what some have called the supremacy of the spoken word. Is it all about proclamation? Mm -hmm. Is it all about preaching? Is it all about scriptural interpretation? Or is there a way in which those things can be sidelined for a time or held in balance or check with action, with doing the work without speaking out and without making a big deal about it. I like what you're saying, but I want to offer another way of, of seeing it, seeing what you just said. Hit me with it. <clears throat> Kerygma proclamation mm -hmm. is should not be understood as just words mm. because our actions do proclaim. Yes. Our actions do preach. Yes. Our actions do have a message that they carry with them. So I think perhaps another way of, of seeing that is to just, I guess, be more on the nose with it. Yeah. And just 
instead of saying, is it not just, it's not just about the proclamation, be more, even more specific and say, it's not just about words. Mm-hmm. Because I think proclamate when we limit proclamation to spoken word or written word, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of very dedicated, very people out of the proclamation game. And they start to see that, and maybe we've done this to ourselves, It we in our profession, they start to think that proclamation is limited to those who occupy a pulpit mm-hmm. or a microphone or a blog or whatever. Right. Or who are writing textbooks. I don't know who it would be, but they start to define themselves out hmm. when they're actually, I, there's, a, there's a couple in, in my church, for instance, who have a heart for missions like no one I've ever seen in my life. Do we agree on everything? No, but we certainly agree on that. And they proclaim with their actions hmm. much louder, in my opinion, than I proclaim from the pulpit anything. Yeah. And so I, I, I just be careful not to define, and I think that's why this verse is so encouraging. I'd be careful not to define proclamation as limited to the speech realm. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was really jaded in college and like um, looking for answers and not really sure of my faith, um, you, this this was something that was really important to me the the emphasis on uh, speech versus works and, and I I took I was a religion major but I took classes that were almost entirely focused on history and culture of religion mm-hmm. because I had this feeling I guess from seeing so many Christian leaders just talk and talk and talk but not actually walk the walk mm-hmm. that if you show me how you live I'll tell you what you believe yeah. And I think looking back that I was going way too far to the other end and saying speech doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What you say doesn't matter. I think it does. But I think what this passage um, points out to me when I take in context that John the Baptist calling was different, was proclamation. Whereas this servant, um, who we, we could interpret as Jesus, it has has a calling that is more about action than about loud words. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that God is able to use what we would call in community organizing as a diversity of tactics. Mm-hmm. God is able to call people to different um, ministries and different ways of proclamation, not because one is better than the other, but because in tandem they actually serve the same purpose. They benefit one another. Right. So we debilitate the body of Christ when we prioritize or grant supremacy to one way of proclaiming over another. And like you said, we we silence or or, uh, marginalize people who, uh, you know, are doing proclamation, but just not from a pulpit. Yeah. Now that we understand that perhaps God is using this diversity of tactics in the callings of John the Baptist and Jesus... Um, I wonder, as we move into this next verse, what what we could what we could glean from um, this deeper understanding of who this servant may be, or or how we would see this the, this way of life, this this response to God's calling playing out. It says he won't break a bruised reed, he won't extinguish a faint wick, but he will surely bring justice. What do you make of that? passage. Well, honestly, I kind of read past it to verse four, so I'm going to look at it again. 
It seems to be a timing mm. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, not focusing on um, having complete control or or not majoring on the minors at least until this premier goal of justice is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I think this is, and I don't know this, but it sounds to me like the, the prophecy is setting the ideal goal for whomever this leader will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Jesus embodies it. Yeah. Um, and again, we can too, mm-hmm. making justice the premier overarching goal. And, yeah. and in that goal, so many other things are taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, it, so, you know, so many movements get fixated on one point yeah. and lose so much other, so many other things. Uh, look at civil rights in the 60s. A lot was done in that decade mm-hmm. to advance more can always be done to advance um, the rights of really all minorities, but specifically African Americans in the United States and also even more specifically in the Southeast. And when they got to a certain point, those who were leading the movement stopped. Mm-hmm. The movement didn't stop. Mm-hmm. But the intensity of it did. Mm-hmm. Well, or and, were stopped. I and, mean, when you look at the many, assassination well, yeah, of MLK, right? I mean, it's... But for many, and I'm going in a specific direction, for many, once a certain degree of equality was attained, mm-hmm. efforts really... It, it wasn't that there was complete complacency, but there was some degree of complacency. We were yeah, there was like you know, the Voting Rights Act and the um, and uh, you know other 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 legislation was pushed through, and it's yeah. like we actually f- solved this problem. But and then the the, the wicked problem tons, of racism just transmutes. Well, yes, way. but tons of African American women mm. who had worked hard at this movement said, "Wait a minute, mm. what about us?" Yeah, because the out. The out um, the outcome of that movement really did improve the potential for African American men, mm. and in many cases, there was there was this chance to include women' rights and and equality in that movement and push it forward. Yeah. that were not seized upon. Yeah, and I would add to that not just women's rights, but also rights of the poor and working class. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, uh, which is so, kind of the direction that Martin Luther King was trying to pivot in, uh, and, you know, in his in his later years, anti-war organizing and organizing for the poor and working class writ large, certainly. including white people, including um, other people of color. Uh, but there was a way in which, through Circumstances that couldn't be um, uh, altered, altered, like because of his assassination, but also because of a of a sense of of achievement that that the movement lost lost some steam. Yeah, and so my my point to bringing that up was not to criticize that movement. That was just a movement Example. with which many people are familiar. Yeah, 
in in many of these justice movements, the overarching goal of justice for all mm. and equality or even equity is lost when justice for a certain number of people is achieved. Mm -hmm. And I think this verse reminds us to keep that uh, ultimate goal of justice in the forefront mm -hmm. so that we don't get satisfied that, oh, we burned the reed or we, whatever. We, we focused on this dimly burning wick and it's burning brightly now so we can we don't have to focus on anything else. Interesting. That's my take on it. Yeah, no, that's a really good read. I hadn't, I hadn't interpreted it that way. Uh, but as that's based on no theologian other than myself. That's fine. And but uh, as I was reading this, and as I was listening to you speak, I thought about how if we if we are really pursuing that goal of justice, um, sometimes uh, we have to acknowledge that folks who um, are um, allies of ours. In, in the work of justice may not be operating in exactly the same way. Yeah. So it, um, we see this right now if we want to talk about current events in the in the Republican Party that's trying, you know, to figure out who they're going to elect as speaker. speaker of the House, yeah. and it's a, it's a total mess. Um, and and actually that used to be uh, that used to be a, a symptom of organizing spaces on the left of politics uh, that, that there was all this undercutting mm -hmm. um, the progressives against the against the more moderates. centrist moderate liberals against the green party against the independents and 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 now we're seeing it on, on the other side of the aisle uh, but we we have we have experience from seeing the left kind of unravel itself uh, to know that like uh, Sometimes it's important to just accept somebody who is working with you towards the same ultimate goal, even if their day-to-day -day tactics and principles might not be the same. And so I see this passage as, uh, he won't break a bruised reed, he won't extinguish a faint wick. It, as a way of saying, um, he's, he's, not, um, he's not getting bogged down in the petty internal debates of the people he's working with. He's not trying to, as we say on the left, uh, shape his firing line in a circle. Uh, <laughs> Pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, it, instead, he, he, he's, he's allowing for that diversity of tactics to push towards the ultimate goal of justice. Different interpretation, different way of reading the passage. but well, we could I, both be off in left field. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... Um, no, I think this is helpful because to me, um, you know, we're going to come back up to this conversation of justice when we get further into this passage and we talk about releasing prisoners uh, and, and those who are in darkness. And then we get to verse 4. And this is the fly in the ointment. Okay, tell me what's, what's, what's up with verse 4. And he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. I didn't mess with this one well, when I was leading lectionary it. yesterday because I didn't know really what to do with it. So but, tell me what but, you see here. I mean, what I see is a problem. Hmm. And that is because when we're looking at this ideal figure, whoever it is, whoever it was or is or maybe, mm -hmm. you're asking them to essentially do the impossible, hmm. which is what God asks of people. I know, because mm. then they have to turn to God to do it. Mm. But 
it's it's kind of like the lion laying down with the lamb. Mm-hmm. Like you can always say, well, I've not seen that, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, when is there going to be total justice? It doesn't say total, but it seems to imply. I mean, you're obviously not saying there's going to be justice between like two people. It's 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 a it's a global or at least regional universal thing. Mm-hmm. And so to say that no one's going to grow faint or be crushed until they have established justice on the earth, we've seen time and time again those who try this get crushed, mm. and it they do grow faint. They may work past it. Yes. Even Jesus. Yeah. He had to take his naps in the bellies of boats and prayer trips to caves and these kind of things. And so it's obviously Mm. an idealistic expectation. Yeah. And I think it may be an unrealistic Mm. expectation of a human being. Right, right. Which is where I think it's helpful to have that uh, flexibility in terms of interpretation to say, well, maybe this isn't always about one person, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe you know, in certain times and in certain places, parts of this passage can apply to individuals, can apply to groups, can apply to Jesus, can apply to Cyrus and Damien or Darian. Yeah, Darius. Darius, sorry. So, verse five, though, you know, it seems out of place. Okay, we've just said that. Now let's. Remind you who God is. And I think that this is actually a really important interlude. It's what well, That's what, where I'm headed with this. Okay. I, I don't think it is out of place. Okay. Because we've just set up this impossible expectation. Yeah. What better time for a reminder of what God can do? Yeah, what God can do, who God is. Um, you have to trust your coach. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you are um, working towards training for some ultimate um, performance or race or uh, event, like you got to trust your coach. You can't look at the uh, blows that are coming towards you as punishment. You got to look at them as opportunities for for building strength. And and part of that is the trust relationship between the um, the performer or the the athlete and the coach. And here we have an interlude where we say, okay, we've set up what what seems like an impossible uh, uh, destination, an impossible goal, an impossible achievement, like justice in the land. Mm-hmm. But let's pause and remember whose team we're on. And this is something we need to do. Yeah. This is something that I can't speak for everyone, but certainly myself doesn't do enough. Yes, absolutely. My, my translation to Common English Bible I like how in the Psalms and also here, in, where there are passages like this, almost outlines them like bullet points. So read yours. So mine says, the top line, God the Lord says, dash. And then indented is this bullet point list of who God is. Who God is. The one who created the heavens. The one who stretched, out, stretched them out. The one who spread out the earth and its offspring. The one who gave breath to its people the life and life to those who walk in it. And it's this like pause moment of like, remember whose team you're on. Like you are on the winning team. Like even when you feel like the odds are stacked against you, it's impossible. Remember who the coach is. Yeah. Like this is the one who gives us breath. 
gives us life. And if God is, is successful at doing that daily, giving us new life, which we acknowledge, then maybe we can trust God to carry us a little bit further, a, a little bit further towards God's vision. So in this reminder of who God is, it uses my favorite Hebrew word. And it's my favorite because it's the most fun to say to mm. me, which is ruach. Ruach. Ruach is spirit, wind, and breath. And so when you see it say who gives breath to the people upon it and who and spirit to those who walk into it, it could very well read who gives spirit to the people upon it or and breath or wind or whatever. It's those three things. Yeah. And so you just got to have you use context to figure out which of the three words it means. But it's my favorite word because of this use of it. And it's fun to say. But it's it's a reminder, in this reminder of who God is, it reminds us of who we are. Hmm. We are people who matter so much to the God who is that capable hmm. that could create the earth and spread out the heavens and all that stuff. Yeah. That God chose to breathe breath into our lungs. And continues to choose to To put a, our us. spirit into this body and let it inhabit the earth in this time. You matter. Yes, you matter. And so in times where we feel like, verse 4, things are just too much. Mm. The expectations are too, too great. Mm -hmm. We are reminded of who God is, and in that same sentence, well, not maybe the same sentence, but in the same verse, how much we matter to that God. Yes. This is inspiring. Yes. I mean, it is uh, sometimes, I think, too much to stop at every moment and remember or try to believe I'm breathing, mm -hmm. therefore God wants me alive. Yeah, go further than Descartes. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Mm. You breathe, therefore you are. I breathe, therefore I am, and I breathe, therefore God loves me and has a purpose for me and has a desire for me to be uh, engaged and working with God towards God's purpose. I mean, if we really believed that, if we really accepted that that was the truth, that we have breath in our lungs because God has a desire for us to participate in God's will for the mm -hmm. world, like... I feel like we would be a lot more cautious with our breath. Wow. <laughs> what comes out of our mouth? Oh, like our speech. Okay, that makes yeah. much more sense. Like you, you talking about holding it? or Yeah, I was a little confused. <laughs> well, for anyone who hasn't, I do encourage people to try to take a few good deep breaths a day. Turns out there's all of this oxygen out there, and it's just a free gift. Yeah. And we all feel better when we accept more of it. And God's grace is like that. You ever go into water for like a long time? Yes, I have. Towards the end of whatever time you're trying to get to, yes, you start to realize the value of breathing. Yeah, the number of scenes in the new Avatar movie where somebody—I'm not no spoilers—but okay. the subtitle is "The Way of Water," so you know swimming is involved. The number of scenes in which somebody is in that very situation where they they really need a breath of fresh air, and they just are not getting it. Um, was overwhelming and excruciating to watch, but it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that like this this breath that we take for granted and that comes into our lungs, you know, every second of every day, is a gift. Yeah, and it is life. 
It is the life that we need. Yeah. So every breath we take, a reminder of how much we matter to God. Yeah. Wow. What what more what easier and available mm-hmm. um, shot in the arm or whatever phrase you want to use for encouraging people can we have? Yeah. You know? If we're willing to, willing to accept that as true. But we're so, not gonna get through this if we don't keep going. All right. Well, I want to jump ahead a little bit then. Um, you know, in Jesus's first sermon, and I'm not sure which gospel we find this in, he stands up in his, in the congregation. He reads a scripture passage that I think comes from Isaiah. I think it's Luke, but I'm not sure. And he says this, he sits down, he says, this has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing or in your sight. And I think he's talking about himself. But the verses that he uses talk about uh, giving food to the hungry, uh, opening the eyes of the blind, um, setting the prisoners free, mm-hmm. among other things. And in verse uh, seven. Seven, 6 and 7, we see, we see this again. At the end of verse 6, it says, um, let, let me summarize here, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason, dot, 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 to open the eyes of the blind, to lead the prisoners from prison, and those sitting in darkness from the dungeon. And uh, my gripe with this passage is that I think as Christians in uh, the United States today, we oftentimes spiritualize this maybe to a fault. And I wonder if there's room for interpretation that this is, this is literal. You won't hear that coming from me a lot, that like we need to take a literalist reading of Scripture. But in this case, I wonder, shouldn't we be stretching ourselves to imagine the possibility that God really is desiring to open the eyes of the blind, really is desiring to lead prisoners from prison, really is desiring to lead those who are sitting in darkness from the dungeons Mm -hmm. of this world. Uh, and not just spiritualizing it and saying, oh, well, he's talking about a spiritual blindness. Oh, well, he's I talking about a spiritual a, imprisonment. I think there's a middle ground between absolute literal and absolute spiritual. Mm-hmm. And that is you know, metaphorical, but not necessarily just spiritual. So um, there are so many other ways other than spiritual blindness or actual blindness that we can be blinded. Mm-hmm. Um, blinders, where we get tunnel vision and we only focus on one thing to the detriment of others. Yeah. Um, blind spots where we think that we know what we're doing, but we're we missing don't. something big. Yeah. yeah. Um, being blinded to our own potential, for instance, and people who are in like emotionally abusive relationships. There, there. So there is gray area. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we shouldn't read it literally, though. Mm-hmm. I like I like where you're going with it. Yeah. But I just wanted to throw that into the mix. It's a, it's just a passage that that I think ought to make us feel uncomfortable. And I don't want to let go of that discomfort or try to to explain it away. Uh, we have a we have a extremely large prison population in the mm-hmm. United States. I think it's over almost to two million at this point. It's a lot. It's a lot, and and it's on a cycle. I mean, there's six hundred thousand people who are released every year, and then six hundred thousand more who are incarcerated. And it's just if there's a bed, they'll feel it. Yes, yeah. and so I think it's it's helpful to feel a little bit of discomfort. In, in imagining the possibility that God is actually literally um, encouraging us to create a world where people who are in prison are freed and somehow 
reincorporated into society. Well, that's the question. Are they really freed if they cannot get a job, if they cannot make a living, if they cannot have families and own houses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Mm -hmm. So far, the only um, large-scale way we've, we've figured out to do this as a human species is what Russia is doing right now, um, uh, recruiting uh, soldiers from prisons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, we are a violent uh, people. I mean, human beings, like, this is, like, th I think this is one of the main things that Jesus came to help us figure out about ourselves and maybe try to grow from is that, like, we, we look first to destructive solutions. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so if it's possible to reintegrate a person from incarceration into society and to label them a hero instead of a um, vagrant or whatever, uh, because... Ne'er-do-well. Yeah, by, by recruiting them into a military service, by offering them an opportunity to serve their country. Can't we try to imagine a way in which we do that, in which we can find ways to redeem people who had otherwise been written off uh, in ways that, that don't involve sending them off to war to kill somebody? Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that it's possible. And I, I admit that I also struggle with that imagination, but I believe that that's kind of the imagination God is trying to invite us into. In Vietnam, interestingly enough, that's one of the ways we dealt with our um, immigrant population. Mm. If you want to be a citizen, sure. Sign up for the draft. When you get back to the jungle, yeah. yeah. Not sign up for the draft. Oh, yeah. Sign up for service. For service, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a, a little thorn to carry around on your side. Uh, sometimes those thorns are, are important for us. As I, I do like that faith. it challenges us right after. It says, here's this this ideal that seems impossible, but remember who your God is. Remember how important you are to God. Yeah. And since you're feeling important, here's another challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't exclude these other people that uh, you might have thought are not important to God. Yeah, God might think that also. God yeah. might think that these people are important too. And th and then we can bring back in the spiritual interpretation. Like. I think as as Christian people, we get we're so easy to write off folks that are just not showing up at church, folks that are just um, spiritually blind in some way, or or trapped in in sin, and so there's no hope for them. Well, uh, we might not have hope for them. Yeah, we might not believe. Which says in them. more about us than it does them. Right, but God still believes in them, and God's still giving them breath too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with all of that, once you've read that. Then you get to verse 9, and it seems like that's kind of a reach if you just read verse 9. Hmm. But once you've read all this stuff before it, verse 9 seems as natural as night and day. Um, see, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Uh, once you see the power of God, you're ready yeah. to embrace something new. Hmm. And you're not surprised yeah. that this God that you have always thought is static mm. is not only able but willing and, in fact, wants to do new things. Are we ready to get on board? Right. Yeah. We talked about blindness earlier. And I think um, one helpful way I have um, read from, theolog from uh, theologians to recategorize that 
exploring this is to talk about horizons. Mm -hmm. That from a certain perspective, there is there are things about the life of God and things about the will of God that we just can't see because we can't, we're not that tall. We yeah. can't see over the horizon. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. That doesn't mean that it's not possible to get there. But we are limited by that perspective. So I took a friend of mine hunting. You met him. His name's Andrew. Uh, I took him last muzzleloader season. And I put him in that same stand that you had used. And I, I have put another stand up in the corner. So that way when I have new hunters in that one stand, you can keep an eye on I can keep an eye on him. And so he's hunting. And as I'm looking out across the field, my focus is on him getting a deer because he's never gotten one. Sorry, Andrew. Here comes this. It was a fairly big buck, like eight-pointer, pretty tall antlers, not very wide. And he just comes walking across the field. And I'm sitting there text message. I'm like, it's right in front of you. You've been trying this for years, and you haven't gotten one. Make the shot. Yeah. And finally, he texts back to me. I can't see it. Mm. So when I got down, and he never saw it. And wow. you may have saw like a brief flash of its antlers. Yeah. It's because from my perspective, Yeah. I can see behind the hill this this buck is walking on. Yeah. But from his perspective, he couldn't see anything. Yeah. And so your your point about horizons, there's a practical example. Yeah, absolutely. What you can see from your perspective in life is completely different yeah. from that of another's. And I want to take this to to Jesus now because I think um, the reason why we continue to be perplexed and challenged by that individual. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, is because people didn't understand what he was talking about. Yeah, and, and so he ended up speaking in parables to like intentionally confuse people and make them continue to ask these questions. And by just doing works that were in line with what he saw his father doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think that the reason why I continue to be pulled back to scripture and to try to wrestle with this thing these things is because I have to believe that Jesus even as unintelligible and confusing as he was had a perspective that is beyond what I can see and so in my Christian walk in my trying to be part of the body of Christ like the further I go out on my own to try to accomplish that without bringing prayer and scripture with me, mm -hmm. like the more lost I get. I'm just further and further afield from whatever God was seeing. The scriptures is, I, I believe, slowly and over time helping me to reform my vision so that maybe someday I'll be able to see just a little bit further over that horizon or even if I can't ever see completely clearly that at least in this place that I am to act in harmony with what, the, with the vision that God is casting through Isaiah here or the vision that God is casting through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, we have to acknowledge our own limitations, our own, our own finite ability to, to see God's vision. We'll never fully understand or fully be able to capture what is the will of God, but that doesn't uh, that shouldn't limit us from trying. And how do we try? I think one way to do that is to come back to the ruach again. Mm. Yes, I am special and valuable and important because God has chosen to give me breath. 
mm-hmm. but I am also completely dependent. Mm-hmm. And that'll humble you. Yeah. And that'll get you back in line, hopefully. Yeah. With where we are supposed to be. And the breath is not something we can control. Nope. It's all around us and, and like the scriptures say, you, you you don't know where the wind is coming from or where it's going. You see the movement of the, the trees. Of it. Yeah. The effects of it. Um, but that and the spirit is like that too. So um, you know, the collectivist reading is sometimes a balm for me when I feel like I don't know the answer. I can't figure this out. Maybe I can trust that whatever God is doing on the other side of the planet mm-hmm. <laughs> or just out of view for me is um, is something that I'm a part of, even yeah. if I can't feel that or see that right now. And that is my hope for all of you from Pastor Potluck. I'm Corey Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Happy New Year.